episode of People Pleasers Anonymous, the podcast for all the good girls, as in the people pleasers, who are tired of living under the weight of expectation and are ready to rise up and break free from the chains of oppressions, not trains, and reclaim their divine right to not just exist, but to actually thrive in a world where a woman's place is wherever the fuck she wants it to be. Hey guys, I'm Lisa Black, I'm your host. I'm a femme empowerment coach and a recovering people pleaser. Through my one-on-one and group coaching programs, I help intelligent, capable and talented women to recover from people pleasing so that they can realise their true potential. And in today's episode, I'm going to share with you what the causes are and why some women become people pleasers in the first place. First, I want to say, if if you are identifying as a people pleaser, that there is absolutely nothing wrong with you. Nothing, nada, not a thing. You are not broken. And my beautiful woman, you do not need fixing. Because there are actually some sound underlying reasons why this habit of people pleasing has become a not so helpful habit for you. And I'm going to share with you what my thoughts are around that. And it stems from sort of two scenarios, really. Um, You weren't born a people pleaser. Let's put it that way. Although there's some debate around the nature versus nurture um, situation. So essentially, what has may have created for you the habit of people pleasing is perhaps there's a little bit of um, background in your DNA, let's say, some predisposed biological traits that have made it easier, let's say, for you to pick up the habit of people pleasing. So your personality has, um, that's been passed on through your DNA, the type of person you are, um, that has come from family traits and generations of, you know, genetics in your family. Traits like being shy, a shy kind of person or empathetic kind of person. So you're empathic is the word I'm trying to say, an empath. Um, You might be more um, leaning towards being compassionate and kind. You have personality traits like being considerate. Perhaps you're passive in the way you behave. Um, You're you're not really competitive. You're sort of non-competitive in nature. You're a little nervous maybe and also quite sensitive. So your DNA is your biological blueprint of who you are. And so some of those kind of um, traits can lead towards becoming people-pleasing habits later on down the track so you know if you were more of an outgoing if you had more of an outgoing personality were quite assertive and um, very competitive it's probably less likely that you have developed people-pleasing traits so that might have a play a little into a take into account a little bit of why you became more of a people pleaser and The last part I want to talk about in terms of uh, nature is another trait that is in all of our DNA. 
as a human. It's the survival trait of needing to belong. You see, as humans, we are pack animals, if you like. We have this need for connection and it's a safety issue. And it stems right back from our time of beginning, the time of beginning when we lived in the dark ages, let's say, or the you know primitive times, I should say, probably primitive times, stems right back from our primitive times, that if we were not part of the tribe, if we weren't accepted by our group, it was actually harmful to us because there was a high probability that if you were on your own in the wild, you would either starve to death or be eaten by a wild animal. And so it's a survival skill. It's a survival need for us to need to be feeling like we belong to a group. And so that's in our DNA. We've all got it and it's been there forever. So these kind of um, biological traits can have an impact on whether or not we become a people pleaser. So that's one side of the um, reasoning for becoming a people pleaser or developing the habit of people pleasing. But the other side of that certainly comes down into the nurture, um, the nurture impact, the impact that, that our environment has on the way we develop and who we become. And some of the things that go on as we, you know, from the moment we're born until we become where we are now uh, along our life journey, the impact, you know, taking into consideration our biological traits, but also the impact that our upbringing has on us. And so there are lots of influences in our lives along our very short or long journey, wherever you are in your journey of life, that can have an impact on who you become, the type of person you are, and the behaviours that you exhibit, and even the thoughts that you think, the beliefs you hold, the values you hold. So our environment can influence us in so many different ways. But the ones I'm concerned about here are the ones that kind of lead us down the track of people-pleasing. So the first part of nurture in this instance is our childhood. Now, if we grew up in a home or an environment where our primary caregivers were emotionally immature in that they were not well versed in emotions, they were not able to cope with their own emotions and they were prone to outbursts, they were prone to, you know, dysregulated emotions, let's say. So they they didn't have a really um, regulated way of expressing their emotions. They might have been extreme in that they expressed, you know, anger and fear and sadness really, really openly and visually and like frighteningly so, Or the opposite side of that where they held their emotions in and they never expressed them. So somewhere in, you know, this whole dysfunction, they were not regulating and they were not explaining to you and um, teaching you how to manage your emotions. And I call that a little bit dysfunctional. And from the research I've done, this emotional immaturity that was modelled to us as a child by parents who were or caregivers who were not able to manage their own emotions effectively, 
um, can play out in a number of ways. So one of the ways that if we didn't experience emotional um, model, weren't modeled emotional mature maturity, then we learn that how we behave can have an impact on someone's emotions. So for example, um, your your parent, let's say your mum was not, not very good at handling her emotions and she was a shouting, um, always um, criticizing and, you know, loudly expressing her emotions every time you did something that sh- that didn't kind of help her, didn't make her feel good, you started to, you would have started to associate that if you behaved in this way and mum reacted, you know, if you behaved however you were behaving and mum reacted in a really um, critical, loud, um, outburst kind of way, you'd start to feel a bit fearful. So you would start to... Um, you would have started to change your behaviour in order that your mum wouldn't have this, you know, emotional outburst and you, you know, scare you and frighten you. So you st- you would start to feel these kind of that you were responsible for how your parents were feeling, and if you acted in a certain way, then your parents would respond to you in a kinder way. So you've learned how not necessarily to manage your own emotions in a um, mature way. Nothing wrong with you. It's not bad. It's just how the environment has impacted on you. And so by changing your behavior, you started to sort of do what you thought your parents needed you to do in order to get their acceptance or to receive their approval. You can see where we're going here with this, you know, survival trait here. In order to survive and in order to feel safe, you needed to prove your your value to the family and therefore, you know, stop you from worrying about um, fearing being rejected. Um, So you learned how to avoid conflict and confrontation or you did as you were told or you didn't do things that might cause your parents to get upset or yell at you or criticize you. So you start to change your behavior to in order to try and regulate your parents emotions and that is a people pleasing trait which you then, you know, practiced over time and it played out in lots of different situations and you got better at it and better at it and better at it. Now it's a habit. Another part of the nurture side of um, learning people-pleasing habits is the social norms. Our society trains us to behave in certain ways so that we fit in and feel accepted Um, all the way through our journey. It's, It's a common Um, thing that goes on in our society today. There are certain ways that we need to behave in order to fit in and be accepted. School, brilliant place to train you to be a people pleaser. Um, Workplaces, training you to be a people pleaser. As a young child, playing sport, um, going into different people's homes and all of those things are going to have an impact on how you behave and in what circumstances you can express your emotions and or ask for what you want and things like that. So you start to change your behavior in order to fit in and feel accepted because of this survival trait of needing to belong, right? Because if you don't fit in, there's a likelihood that you will be um, left out and left to die. 
sad but true. This fear response is quite strong. And so if we don't fit in, we feel like we need to change until we do. And so we change by people pleasing. We try to keep everybody happy. We try to do, um, do what people want. We, you know, dumb ourselves down in order to fit in. Okay, the next type of um, conditioning that happens through our environment is childhood trauma. So this is taking the dysfunctional kind of emotional uh, regulation of our parents to the next level where we may have experienced um, some trauma as a child. And people pleasing is actually a fear response to trauma and that it's it's and the purpose of that fear response is actually to keep you safe so what you learn from your trauma that you experienced as a child is that if you to to keep yourself safe if you are nice and do as you're told then you won't get hurt and so you start to you know Again, give yourself up, lose yourself and become a different version of yourself in order to keep the person who is um, abusing you or um, putting you through that extreme situation to keep yourself safe. It's a fear response and therefore once you're out of that situation and you're no longer in the abusive um, uh, environment, you still continue to play out those people-pleasing behaviours in order to feel safe and in order to um, avoid getting hurt or being um, on the brunt of any abuse. And so that plays out in all sorts of, against scenarios in your life. And the last way that is kind of a combination of those three um, situations, the social norms, childhood trauma and um, the emotional immaturity of your parents is the messages you receive about your identity from those very early relationships you have with your parents and your care group givers because how they treated you and I'm not saying this is a bad thing. I'm not saying that they've been wrong. Your parents are behaving in the way that they learn how to behave from their parents and their parents before that. So it's not that they're doing anything wrong. It's just that you have picked up from the clues that they gave you about how you were behaving as to what was acceptable and what was appreciated and what wasn't. And so you learn about your identity from those people who you spent the most time with as a young person, as you were growing up. And this can come from not only your parents, but your teachers and your, you know, coaches and your mentors and people like that who have had, who you have a lot of contact with in your formative years of life. And they kind of mold and shape you into the person that you become by the things that they say to you. You know, um, Things like if you're a good girl, then you get to have a treat. And if you're a good girl, then you get to, you know, have a special, we go out on a special occasion. You know, we get these messages all the time about if we do this, then you will receive that. And so we start to associate the behaviours that make us feel like they get the reward with you know, the clues that we're given and we begin to behave in a way that helps us to feel accepted and appreciated, even if it's not necessarily things that we want to do or that are aligned to us. So there's my little viewpoint on how we become 
or why we're sort of predisposed to becoming people pleasers. Your DNA, it's in your DNA in that you are that kind and compassionate kind of person and there is that kind of easier way for you to want to genuinely keep people or help people to be happy so you want to be kind um, it's in your dna as a survival trait in that need to belong because if you're not weren't accepted by your tribe you were out and possibly you know in a very dire situation and then there's how our um our upbringing and our childhood have been conditioned and programmed to being um, who we become by the people around us and the situations that we're in. So the nurture versus nature style of um, learning how to become who you are. Now, I want you to remember, and I want my little takeaway for you here, is that there is nothing wrong with you. You are not broken. And therefore, you do not need fixing because there are some very sound reasons behind why you've actually um, learnt this habit of people pleasing. It's basically just been to keep you safe and to keep you from harm's way. And so, the I guess the purpose behind your people pleasing is actually a good one, right? It's there to keep you safe and to keep you from um, danger. So if you do find that um, you this people-pleasing habit of yours has gone to the next level and um, it's holding you back from living your best life and you really want to get to the bottom of why you behave the way you do, let's start by looking back at your childhood and asking yourself some questions. You can ask yourself sort of, dive a bit deeper in trying to uncover what experiences might have molded you in to becoming a people pleaser. Who were the people in your life that you might have actually modelled that people pleasing behaviour from? You know, who were those significant people in your life that had an impact on you at that early age? Did you learn your people pleasing behaviour from them by watching them? Or did you learn to people please in order to feel accepted by them? Um, Ask yourself maybe what contributed to that fear of rejection or abandonment or even conflict or criticism. You can dive into what situations you found yourself in where you were trying to appease others. What were you doing or what was going on? And even ask yourself, what were you afraid of? What, was, what were you afraid of happening if you behaved how you wanted to behave? So if you didn't um, do the thing that whoever wanted you to behave in that way, what, was, what would happen to you? What would be the result of you um, not keeping that person happy? or the situation. So dive in, do a little bit of soul searching and see if you can get to the bottom of how you became a people pleaser in the first place. Because as you build your awareness and your understanding of how you developed the habit of people pleasing, you'll actually be able to start to notice what situations can trigger that habit. And with that awareness and um, an understanding of the triggers, that's when you get to affect change. That's when you can now, you know, take responsibility for how you're showing up in relationships and situations and choose a different way and really start to um, 
recover, begin that process of recovering from people pleasing and taking back your confidence and your control so that you can, you know, realize some of those dreams that you have and the potential that you have that's in within you of, you know, being the best version of you. And I'd also like to offer up if you are feeling that you know, you've got these people pleaser traits, you're just not sure what, um, where it's all come from, stem from and how you became this incredibly dysfunctional, no, I don't, don't mean that in a negative way, how you became, how people pleasing has, you know, taken over your life maybe or become a, a, a habit that you really would like to kick. If you would really like to take a deeper dive and uncover the root cause of your people pleasing habit and discover some tools that might help you to overcome the people pleasing habit and make and come up with your own personalized plan to help you recover, then I would love to chat because that's what my one-on-one coaching program is all about. It's a great way for you to get the support and the accountability that you need to help you to ditch people-pleasing and finally start to realize your true potential and live as your authentic self. I would love to help you on that journey. All you need to do is reach out to me via um, the link that I'm going to put in the show notes and book yourself a clarity call and we have a free discussion. There's no obligation, but we can have a chat about what it is that you need and maybe how I can support you on your journey to recover from people-pleasing. And as always, you can find me on my socials via Facebook and Instagram at Lisa Blackham Coaching. And I hope you've enjoyed today's episode and it's giving you something else to think about. So let me know what your biggest takeaway is from today's episode. And if there is any support that you need, please drop your questions in the chat and we will take that a bit further. It might inform my next podcast episode. Thanks for joining me. Uh, It's been beautiful being here with you again today. I'm Lisa Blackham and I am a recovering people pleaser. Bye for now. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.